before our next meditation, I'm quoting Jack Cornfield. So I choose the quote from a teacher from another tradition. Also, here to kind of make a bridge to the possibility that actually all Buddhist tradition alight on the same experience, rest uh, on the same experience, the mystic experience. And personally, I would say that every spiritual tradition, every mystic tradition rests on the same experience, put in different words, and different language, different metaphors. But more you familiarize yourself with spacious loving awareness as your natural state, more you will recognize the same flavor in the teachings and the text. It doesn't matter anymore if you read the poems of a Tibetan yogi or a Christian mystic, it has the same, the same essence, pointing to the same fathomable, unfathomable silence. So he writes in his book, it's his latest book, it's called Present Moment, Best Moment, or something like that. Rest in spacious awareness and feel the presence of love. So rest in spacious awareness. Feel the presence of love. And hear love as a mystery. So rely on silence. The silence here is a lack of words, but uh, is in the nature of love. The one who knows. So the one who knows is Ajahn Chah's uh, expression, Ajahn Chah, the, one of the teachers of the Thai forest tradition, and he is one of the teachers of Jack Cornfield. So in the Thai forest tradition they talk about the one who knows, which is Rigpa, which is the empty knowingness, the nature of your mind. So the one who knows becomes the loving witness of all things. A Christian mystic might say, I'm always infinitely loved by God.
not as the creator God, but as uh, the loving intelligence, which is the ground from this, from which this moments, this moment arises and dissolves back into the unity from which this moment arises and which it dissolves back into. In the Tibetan tradition, it might call, might be called the Great Mother. Because emptiness is connected with the feminine principle in the Tibetan tradition. So instead of saying everything arises from emptiness and dissolves back into emptiness, one could also say everything arises from the Great Mother, is the Great Mother, and dissolves back into the Great Mother, into Prashnaparamita. You become loving awareness itself. So, of course, it's not that you become loving awareness. You, you recognize yourself as the loving awareness. The freedom of loving awareness is available. It just takes practice for you to remember it, it and to trust it, to trust that it is always here. So this, uh, this trust, this surrender, this devotion, that's an important ingredient and probably in order to find that trust uh, we might need the trust into a tradition the trust into a lineage the trust what we're doing here is time-tested the trust that the method is trustworthy because it worked. It is handed down from one generation to the next. And to a certain extent, in all of you, there is a bit of that trust, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Or at least you, you wouldn't be here still. So, you, you. so there must be some call in you, some recognition, something something in you which recognizes that it is not complete bullshit what we are exploring here. And that trust, that call, that longing is really, really precious. 
follow that trust, follow that longing, protect it. Of course, the recognition of awareness can also happen outside of tradition, outside of spiritual practice, and it does. Like this example of the girl with the stroke. But over other people who kind of stumble upon it, where it breaks into their life, But that can be actually quite challenging if you don't have a frame of handling that experience or putting it into a place, having a healthy story around it, then a shift of identity can be very, very disturbing. An experience of no self when it happens outside of a tradition, outside of the protective container, can be very, very disturbing, very frightening. It, drives, it can drive you mad. Plus, there seems to be something really helpful in coming together. When you feel lost, stuck in a tiny part of the big picture. This is a good image, a tiny part of the big picture. So let's imagine this moment is a movie. Like a movie on the screen. If you notice, even right now, a big part, maybe maybe 60% of the movie is filled with me. Sometimes 90% of the movie, like imagine this, you go to the movie theater, you, you watch a movie and all you see is me. <laughs> and then there's a bit of sky in the left corner and another person like far away in the background. You know, acknowledge this walking through the day, to the movie of your day, and it's all, it's filled with me. So much so that we can be by the Grand Canyon. And it's still just about me. That big part of that movie, What About Me, really closes our eyes to the richness, to the, to the, to the beauty, to the, to the mystery of life.
it disconnects us also from other people. We don't see them because we the movie is so full of me. They are just like little side figure figures which have a little space somewhere on on the in the corner in the corners of the screen. So by shifting, making a backward step, you know, waking up from the dream of me. That tiny part, which for, before was the main character, that shrinks. And it's still there, it also has its place. Yeah, it's okay. It's not, we don't need to throw it out completely. It's okay, as long as it's still functioning. I mean, it's almost dead anyway, but it still is still kind of around. Yeah, we, you can keep it there, yeah. But suddenly the the space is so big, you know. So, so there's space for the sounds, for the for the sensations, for touch, for for colors, for for other people, for for life, for the mystery of life. So it's a bit like kind of zooming out. So when you feel uh, feel lost, stuck in a tiny part of the big picture, contracted or caught up, take a breath and visualize yourself stepping back. With a spacious mind, you can witness even these contracted states and hold them in loving awareness. So let's sit quietly with this. Again, starting with a posture and just checking in, checking in the inner weather, befriending your own energy, welcoming the guests in the guest house of the body. And following the lightness and the letting go of the out-breath. Softening and opening. And then resting. gravitating towards open, choiceless, panoramic awareness, like sitting on a mountaintop and just gazing into the landscape. And here the landscape which we gaze in is the inner landscape.
and the returning, resting, noticing the non-static, ephemeral nature of the appearances, awareness, being aware of presence. Being aware of the one who knows. Returning and then stepping backward. In the midst of your experience, letting things be as they are. Rely on silence. Rely on peace. Rely on freedom, not the freedom from the content, but the freedom for the content.
nobody is alone. We are in the field of the group, protected by the presence of the Buddha. And with us right now, there's thousands of others who are in the presence of the Divine. In silent prayer and silent sitting, you are never alone. to allow yourself to find a place of rest in the midst of your experience as that which is bigger than everything not separate from everything but also bigger than everything
transition out of what is happening now without leaving the seat as a practitioner. So there's one question about moksha. When I read the question, the first story which came uh, to my mind was um, I've read an interview with Sharon Salzberg and she was asked if she has attained stream entry, which is kind of the Theravada equivalent to what you call moksha, moksha or liberation. And uh, her answer was, I'm a stream enter in Thailand, in Sri Lanka I'm not. Which is really a, a wonderful answer. Why, she, why is she a stream enterer in Thailand and not in Sri Lanka? Because they just define it differently. They have different criteria. So, of course, it is helpful sometimes to confirm or to get confirmed in one's realization, but it's not that important. So, in the Tibetan tradition, they have different maps of awakening, and it is good to become a bit aware of your map of awakening. And also having an ear and an interest in the different maps of awakening, maybe in other traditions. But in the Tibetan tradition, they so one map of awakening is um, the the turning point of moksha. which is uh, in the map of the five paths in the Tibetan tradition called entering the path of seeing. But then in the Tibetan tradition they have also enlightenment. And it's two different things. So moksha, liberation, self-liberation, stream entry. Uh, in the Mahayana path is not the not the end result. So there's more awakening happening after that, deepening happening. Then it's also a question about in the definition of their what people call stream entry or moksha or liberation, if they would label an experience like that only as moksha or liberation or stream entry, if it's irreversible, if it's permanent, if it stays, 
if it's a shift of the baseline in your life. So stream entry moksha relies on one insight and that is the insight that there is no self. Not as an intellectual insight, which is quite easy to attain. Not as an intellectual understanding, but actually as a direct seeing that there is no self, that there is no I here. With that insight comes fearlessness. With that insight obviously comes, oh, there's nothing to protect here. There's an open process which is connected with everything but there's no I in that open process. There's no center, there's no owner. There is feelings and thoughts and habits, conditioned mind, but doesn't belong to anyone. And some teachers, some tradition would say, if you have a glimpse of that, if you have a moment of freedom, that you have attained moksha. And some people would say, no, no, that's just a glimpse. So moksha doesn't mean that one is, that there's no difficult feelings anymore. Or that there's no addiction anymore, or no anger, or no sadness. So all of that remains, but there's nobody there who has them. So tomorrow we will look into that part of recognizing the illusion of an independent, separate, solid I. This is probably for us beginners one of the most important insights to gain, uh, you know, to work for, to get to. And it's very accessible, because it's so obvious once you start to look.
So, and then there was something else. Let's just see. Yeah, it is more difficult, but nobody said it's easy. In difficult times, it's more challenging to hold your seat as a practitioner. But on the other hand, of course, you also have the opportunity to strengthen your capacity of holding your seat with exactly the methods we have been discussing until now. In a way, the time we experience that things which we unconsciously trusted, which created a sense of safety, when these things fall apart, this is a, really an opportunity. And this is just the beginning. I mean, it's obvious that things are collapsing. Everything is collapsing. I mean, we are kind of a bit too pampered by living in Denmark and Sweden it worked for 30 years, 40 years. But obviously it, it can't be a refuge. It, is, it was never a refuge. It's a, it's, it's a hallucination. It's like a self-hypnosis. That we are safe and we have a job and that there's hospitals and that the social system is more or less working. It's good to have these things, obviously, but it, it can't be a refuge. It, it never was. So when they start to collapse, then the natural response of the narrative self who fa felt safe there is fear. Yeah, But then one has the opportunity to go deeper. And to prepare for, your, for yourself for that which is coming. I, I'm not saying that to, to scare or uh, it's just, you know, stopping this stupid optimistic thinking, wish-fulfilling thinking that everything will be fine. Nothing was ever fine. There was just a kind of a short, short period of relative stability. That's why we're practicing, to preparing ourselves that when the shit hits the fan, that we are not losing the seat as a practitioner. And until then, still living in a more or less safety net, we're using that time. <laughs>
the anxiety we experience is, of course, connected with our psychological history. That's one part. But, but what, what is also in that anxiety, in that insecurity, is the shared anxiety, the shared insecurity of our culture. It mixes with our psychological stuff. So it's obvious, as I said at one point, that a practice of taking your seat in the midst of that anxiety, breathing it in, is actually a work for everyone. It's not, it's not a, like a, only a private healing project. And there's also a practice of wise avoidance. So what I mean with that, wise avoidance is that stepping into the fire is sometimes a bit too much. So stepping into the fundamental ground anxiety, which is the fear of death, is sometimes a bit too much. It's overwhelming. So in psychological words, you would re-traumatize yourself. So instead of stepping into the fire becomes a way of softening and opening and connecting of healing, it goes into the spiral downward. So wise avoidance is to do this process gently, to take your time, and to connect with the resources you need. So part of our practice is also building up a vessel, a container, a stable container, which is able to hold the experience. So in the Buddhist tradition, that's the practice of refuge. It's the practice of bodhicitta. It is the practice of shamatha. It is feeling the earth. It is also wise destruction. It is also insisting on joyful things to do, insisting on resting and taking care and giving yourself gifts, doing things which you enjoy, turning your focus on the aspects of your life which are beautiful, which are rewarding, which are rich.
So this stepping into the fire or you know, stepping into the midst of your experience as it is, is uh, it can be unbalanced. Yeah? It can be too much. If you let yourself be overwhelmed from the anxiety around you, then you add to the problem. You add to the anxiety. If you let yourself be overwhelmed by the suffering of the animals and you feel helpless, you give up. Then you don't contribute to this situation. So then you have first have to take care of that. So from the point of view of a practitioner, it is a very good time that death is in the open, is in the public. It's always like that. Actually, if you look at the general death rate, there's very few countries for a few weeks where the death rate was over average through the whole crisis. People are dying all the time. And people are alone all the time. It's just more in the news now. If you're afraid of becoming sick, if you're afraid of dying from that, that's a good thing. That's a good reminder. Because you are dying. What's the difference from what you die? So that's where we always start. We start with ourselves. Now, knowing that our inner state, the movement of your heart, they make a difference. And then, of course, there is the question of how to find a place of compassion which is big enough that it can hold the suffering in the world. This is an open-ended question. How can you live in this world? How is it possible? Try to find a way to live. It's possible. I'm sure.
and it has to do with the union of love and wisdom. If the suffering of old people in elder people home who have no visitors anymore, if that suffering is overwhelming us, then that is a sign that wisdom is lacking. If it doesn't matter to us, if we don't care, because we don't have a grandmother, then that's a sign that love is missing. Compassion is missing. So it is that that union of wisdom and love, the, the gaze of Avalokiteshvara of Shenrizik, seeing the emptiness of everything and loving everything at the same time. So as a practitioner, once you have taken your seat, whatever happens, whatever is going on, that's the space, that's the Bodhi tree, that's, that's the space to wake up. Even appreciating somehow that it is more difficult for us right now. And then from there, you do what you can do. Volunteer. Start with yourself, but also do what you can do. So if you find yourself being overwhelmed, try something else. Try to lift yourself out of that. Maybe initially with some provisional placebos, but then with that, with the provisional placebos, uh, to come to a place where you can reconnect with wisdom and love. And then you fail again, then it all falls apart again. But you have your seat, you return to your seat, you just sit down, not necessarily literally, but like I'm a practitioner of the holy teachings of the Buddha. I'm a daughter of all the Buddhas. I'm a son of all the Buddhas. I'm going to take my seat like the Buddha did. And I will stop to worry about me. 
Well, I don't have any idea what the union of wisdom and love is, but that's my compass. Yeah. I have not figured that out, but it's my compass. And at least I'm aware when I fall into the extremes. Yeah? So the extreme of giving a shit on the one hand, and on the other hand, being overwhelmed. So I'm aware of these two extremes. So what is the middle path? And I notice when I'm approaching it, when, when, when that is there, meaning I'm completely open, but there's also peace, there's love. It's strange. So it's an experience of being intimately attached with everything which is happening, and in the same time it doesn't bother you. So suffering, one's own suffering and the suffering of other people just emphasize, emphasizes love. And in that love is vitality and creativity. In that love is never to give up. In that love is also the wisdom knowing it doesn't matter so much if it goes up and or down. What matters is to stand up for love because it's going down. Everything falls apart, will fall apart. What matters is, have you used your life to increase your familiarity with spacious love? And then you can die without regret. And spacious love will be presence, present in the death process. Yeah, so there is that. the wish to help I mean first I think it's good to appreciate to celebrate to confirm how precious it is that this impulse of wanting to help that that is there is so beautiful that's bodhicitta It's like this this yearning, you know, to want to go there and free all the mink. 
and there can easily be the feeling I can't do enough, you know, I'm just one person. And also I'm a bit, I'm actually in a kind of warm and cozy place. I actually, I don't really want to do something. Yeah, I, I wish I could, but uh, it doesn't matter anyway what I do. I'm just my little thing, just saving one mink, it's nothing. Of course, it's nothing for that one. It's not nothing for that one mink. Uh, but um, it can be a, a, a good excuse. Yeah. Not to do what we can do. But also from the Buddhist point of view, we go deeper. So we ask ourselves, what's the What's the what's are what are the deeper deeper causes for the mink industry in Denmark? What are the deeper causes for that? And obviously the deeper causes for that is greed. The greed of the mink farmers and the greed of the people who buy the fur to wear them on their skin. Dead people. They like to wear deep dead people on their skin. So the 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 root cause for 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 greed is is uh, yeah, for, for for the mink industry is greed. And the cause for greed is the distortion of reality. It's a lack of wisdom. It's the identification with the eye. So that's where spiritual practice come in, comes in. So what one can always do is to be on the path of awakening so that you become able to share the real medicine with the world. And the real medicine for the world is not saving one link, eh, one mink. The real medicine for the world is to share the truth of how we exist. The truth that we are one. The truth that you are the mink. And a person who sees that would never wear dead people as clothes. That would be like taking the skin of your dog and making a hat from it. So in the Tibetan tradition, that's why, in, well in, in the Buddhist tradition in general, that's why 
what is emphasized in one's life is one's own awakening. Maybe sometimes a bit too much. That's something one can probably accuse the Tibetan tradition of. That they emphasize so much awakening, enlightenment, and they forget, yeah, by the way, we could also build some schools and hospitals and take care of the surrounding village in the, uh, which is uh, surrounding the monastery. Probably we could do that. And that didn't happen, sadly. But still, there is that emphasis. If I want to share the ultimate medicine with, with others, I need to be very familiar with what I'm sharing. I need, I need to know what I'm sharing by myself, through my own experience. And in that experience of unconditioned awareness of silence, from that experience comes an intuition what to do for the benefit of the others. And that might mean to save one link. That might mean many different other things. We can't address all the topics, but we can choose something to contribute. That would be a sad thing if our practice is just about us and our awakening and our spiritual progress, and it doesn't show uh, in on the level of our behavior. It doesn't show on the level of generosity. It doesn't show in our level of reaching out and giving a helping hand. Okay, so let's uh, close the day with a short sitting quietly. And we can just start with appreciating that you are happening. and appreciating our togetherness and rejoicing that we have spent the time and the energy to create this meeting A sense of satisfaction, a sense of contentment to have used this day in a meaningful way. And that also the other people in this group did the same. That's really precious, fortunate. 
Then you rest with openness, choiceless awareness. And in that openness, you can't find your boundaries. And that's why we can share silence. And from this moment, from this day, from the room, from this meeting, there's waves of silence, loving silence. rippling into all directions, ripples of silence, ripples of love, into your past, into your presence and into your future, into all directions. And you can Include particular some people you worry about right now. Inviting them into this space of loving silence. Bathing them. Or sending loving silence into the anxiety and insecurity identify yourself with the loving gaze, not with the content. beings be happy, all beings be free, all beings feel safe, and may people look after each other, also the animals, may people everywhere look after each other.
and then the rest. So again, when you now do what you're doing, try to keep an awareness that you are in a sacred spot, also in the kitchen and also in the bathroom, 